everyone. Hello. I went to one of my favorite little towns to go to in Pennsylvania the other day. And it is called Belleville. And it's just a lovely little town that has a lot of Amish and Mennonite people. And if you don't know about Amish or Mennonites, you should read about them. They're very interesting and their lifestyle is what they often say. They often call themselves plain. And that's kind of how it is. It's sort of like how some of you girls and kids like to read um, Laura Ingalls Wilder stories or or stories of that day and age when they were when people were settling our country and moving west. Um, it's similar to that in that they have lifestyles, a lot of them without fancy things. Some of them don't use cars and some of them don't use electricity. This book is from a store that I found over there that I really like and they don't have electricity in the store. I think I told you kids about that. Their lights only come from the sun. So they have skylights in their ceiling, just like windows in their ceiling to let the light in because they don't use electricity at all. And we'll find out together if this book is about Amish people or Mennonite people. It looks like both. On the back it says, the book is called Betty Girl and Other Animal Stories. And the back says, more than 30 Amish and Mennonites have shared their personal experiences with, with animals. Read about Anna, whose horse Betty Girl could run like the wind. Blind Shirley's seeing eye horse Trinkles, who always knew when Sunday arrived and who would trot off to church without being told when and where. And it goes on to describe some of the other stories. So this will be fun. This is compiled by Carrie Bender. She's a member of an old order group in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And she all, 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 excuse me, also wrote some other books. <clears throat> Betty Girl and Other Animal Stories by Mastoff Press from Morgantown, PA, 2004. Okay, Betty Girl. My dad bought Betty in 1991. She was a skinny little mare and about the toughest looking horse we had ever seen. He bought her for my brothers, but the minute I saw her, my heart claimed her for my own. I set to work brushing her every inch and feeding her extra grain between chore times. I still remember exactly how she looked even now, 12 years later. She had a thick, nice tail and an unusual dimple in her hindquarter that looked so cute when she ran down the road. Betty soon became a pet for all of us. My oldest brother trained her to be a swift, sure-footed riding horse, and I remember how proud he was when she faithfully stood still anywhere while being ground-tied only. In the winter, Dad would ride her while dragging a long trail of toboggans on behind, giving us children the most thrilling sled rides. When I was about 13, I wanted to drive Betty in the open buggy all by myself. Mom was skeptical because once Betty started running, it wasn't an easy feat to slow her down. I was determined, however, and finally Mom said, I may, but only up to Aunt Ruthie's, which was about two miles away. What joy! I was so thrilled as I drove out the lane all by myself. Mom watched me go as far as she could, then ran upstairs to look out the windows in order to watch me a bit on the main road yet. That started the Anna driving the little fast horse story that many people in Franklin County still remember. Betty and I went anywhere and everywhere, always at a breakneck speed. Betty ran low and fast, and I loved every minute. Many times, 
I took friends for a ride or just went for a drive by myself. When I think back, I think my dad should have been along sometimes to advise me on how to properly care for a horse. She was a small horse and easily winded, but loved to run. Once as I was on my way home from a circle buddy gathering, I was really showing off my swift horse to my friend Rachel who was riding with me. I let Betty run as fast as she could and we came to Rachel's house. She was winded and tired and I still had a few miles to get, go to get home. I soon realized how foolish I had been. Poor Betty was one exhausted little horse and could hardly drag up the last long hill toward home. I began to pray in earnest and begged Betty to please forgive me as well. And she did, for the next time I drove her, Betty was as eager to run as ever. But I did my best to take proper care of her after that. When the blacksmith came to our place to shoe our horses, he often had to come to the house and ask me to catch Betty for him when she was in the meadow, how swift and agile she was. One day, I was on my way to vocational classes at Ben Lance's, when suddenly, about one mile from my destination, Betty slowed to a very slow walk. Ever so slowly, we arrived at school, and teacher Bina, or Bina, I don't know, knowing how we usually came sailing in the lane, noticed that something was very wrong. We put Betty in the barn, and I didn't enjoy those three hours much, as I kept worrying about her. We kept checking on her. She was digging around in the stall and seemed very stiff. I made it home with her that afternoon, however, very slowly. She soon, she, she soon seemed to be okay again, but we never really knew what had been wrong. She still loved to run after that, but never quite seemed quite as strong again. As the years passed with my wonderful horse, Betty, the bond grew between us. How I loved going for a fast drive with her. And when I felt lonely and longed for a sister in my teenage years, I went down to the meadow and talked to Betty. She listened patiently. And the best part was that she didn't give me a bunch of advice that I didn't want to hear. How comforting, lovely, and soothing it was to stroke her precious neck and breathe deeply of that wonderful horse smell. But as all living creatures must, Betty eventually grew old and began to tire more easily. One Sunday morning, Mom came to wake me and she said these four painful words, Anna, Betty is dead. What? I didn't believe her. Dead, it couldn't be true. But it was, and the minute I accepted that fact, I started to cry. I started crying, and cry I did for a long, long time. I ran out to the barn. When I came close to the box stall, I stopped and slowly and deliberately had to place each foot forward in apprehension. I had to see her, but I dreaded to see the evidence. She lay there stretched out, relaxed, as if in a peaceful sleep. Betty's feet were done running, her dimple finished flashing, and her tail would no longer flow out behind her. She was dead, and it broke my heart in what I was certain was at least three or four pieces. I removed her old green halter and took it up to my bedroom and pushed it under my sofa so no brother of mine would ever put it on some other horse. I went to the breakfast table but soon gave up trying to eat as, I, as my scrambled eggs just wouldn't go past the lump in my throat. I had to go to church even with red eyes. At least one person understood my grief. And that person was Bina, my former teacher, for I told her right away, bless her heart, she expressed real heartfelt sympathy as did many others when they heard of my sorrow. I mourned for a long, long time, even though I knew Betty was just a horse. She was extra special to me, an extra special one. Even now, after being married and finally and having a family of my own, and yes, another horse, I still miss her. I will never forget the Betty girl days of my youth.
our second story is called Trinkles. Not twinkle, like twinkle, twinkle, little star, but T-R, Trinkles. Memories of my favorite horse, a seeing eye horse. So there's a note and it says, the second and third stories in this book, that's this one and the next one, are written by, quote, Blind Shirley. That was this lady's name. Her nickname was Blind Shirley, who has a muscle disease which caused her eyesight to slowly deteriorate until she became blind at age 20. She now uses her lips to type because the muscle disease affected her fingers as well. Before she became blind, she trained large horses, which is much too, much too dangerous now. Although she is absolutely delighted to work with miniature horses and is involved with the Seeing Eye Miniature Horse Project. Okay, so this is about Trinkles. I remember well the spring of 1979 when a little filly was born. This new filly was white all over with four small dark hooves. There was a large, there was a dark smudge over her tiny velvety muzzle. Foals were a rare occurrence on our farm, so of course she was greeted with excitement. It was thrilling to watch as she tried to gain some balance on her four long, spindly legs and search for her first drink of milk. Even her own mama, Pat, made a fuss over her new offspring. Pat was a pacer. She was our driving horse. This new filly was to take her mother's place someday. As my younger brother and I thought it over, we were having a disagreement over what to name this new filly. My brother wanted to name her Twinkles with a W. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, Twinkles. I, on the other hand, liked the name Trinket. But finally we met in the middle and agreed to mix both names. So Trinkles became her name. That's what it was. Because she was eventually to become the family driving horse, my brother and I decided to train her while she was young. At the age of three months old, we hitched her to a small pony cart. She threw a fit, balking and rearing. She had no intentions of pulling a cart. With the show, we discovered she had a stubborn streak. We soon abandoned the pony cart idea. Trinkles was a bulker right in the beginning. Especially when it came to a larger puddle she couldn't go around. She didn't intend to get her pretty little feet wet, so my brother would push all the while I pulled. Then she would sit on her haunches and we had to drag her through. She finally learned just getting her feet wet was better than getting her haunches wet and dirty. When Trinkles was a year and a half old, I began to ride her and discovered she had a nice fox trot. With a gentle nature, training her was easy except when she got into one of her balking and rearing fits, along with her stubborn nature. I carried along a short piece of rubber garden hose to smack her on the rump when she got it into her head to bulk, and a sharp tap on the head, and a sharp tap on the head when she wanted to rear up. When she became too ornery for me to handle, my brother would help me out. He would ride her hard until she was ready to settle down and pay attention to me. At four years old, Trinkles finally settled down to be dependable for me. I even convinced Daddy to let me keep her for my own saddle horse. Since then, my eyesight has deteriorated to the point where Trinkles has gradually become my seeing eye horse. I have a rare eye and nerve disease, and over the years, I have gradually lost my sense of touch and also my sight. We live in the country well off any main routes. 
My riding is done mostly on gravel roads and also on private field lanes to the local country store and to church. Trinkles did well. Once I had her headed in the right direction, I could hang the reins over the saddle horn. When I thought it was near to a crossway road, I would tell her which direction to go by pointing. If any traffic was coming, she would wait and then go ahead after all was clear. If I thought I was near to a driveway or a lane I wished to turn off at, I would point and tell her to go in that lane. When Trinkles got to the lane, she'd turn in and go right up to the house and stop. If we had already passed the driveway before I told her where we wanted to go, she would stop, turn around, and retrace her steps and go in the correct lane. There were several places where we went to regularly that I just told her the name of the person and she would take us right there. Can you believe that, children? Isn't that exciting? She would just say, go to Nancy's house, or go to Galilee's house, or go to Gloria's house right? She knew just where to go. Once in a while, she would show a contrary and stubborn show a contrary and stubborn streak. Then she would succeed in getting me lost or confused. I could always tell when she was back on the way home because she would quicken her pace. My brother would teasingly say that Trinkles probably learned her contrariness from me. If the lane we happened to be going down had a gate, Trinkles would stand closely alongside of it. Then I'd pull the chain off over the top of the post and pull the gate towards open towards us. Trinkles would go through, then back up until I was even with the post, so I could drop the chain back over the post again, which kept it shut. It's kind of the neighbors to have these easy swing gates I can hand, easily handle alone. When Trinkles and I had to push a gate open away from us, I would push it so it swung wide open. Then Trinkles would go around and push it shut with her chest. Thus we navigated the obstacles along the way. She would watch for low-hanging branches and kindly sidestep around them so they wouldn't smack me in the face. Sometimes she would forget, too. Sometimes while riding along, I might accidentally drop my handkerchief or something, and Trinkles would stop. No, she didn't pick She didn't pick it up for me. I had to do that. But she usually waited patiently until I found it again and got back on. While riding, if I was eating an apple, I just had to ask, Do you want a bite? she'd promptly stop and reach back for the promised bite. <laughs> Trinkles always just knew when it was Sunday and took me to church without being told where to go. If we had special church services on any other day of the week, Trinkles simply knew it, and she always went to her place in the shed among the other horses. After church services were over, if I wished to go to my aunt's house, I'd just tell Trinkles, let's go to Irma's, and she went there. While we were there, I'd put her on a picket line so she could graze, or I would let her out in the nearby pasture. She would always come when I called to her again. Stormy was a four-pound white Eskimo puppy when she was given to me. I would stick her in the front of my coat and take her everywhere I went. When she got too big for the front of my coat, she rode in front of me in the saddle. Usually on cool days, she ran alongside Trinkles. The two of them loved to race. I'd say, run, Stormy, run, and she'd take off. Because Stormy was so much smaller than Trinkles, I'd always have to let her have a good start. Of course, Trinkles and I soon caught up to her. Stormy loved racing, and even if she never won. Stormy died in 1996 at the age of 10. Trinkles, Stormy, and I shared many happy days riding through wind, through, excuse me, rain and snow and all kinds of weather. Job 121 says, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In August of 1999, Trinkles died of an unknown illness at the age of 20. I miss her greatly. 
I'm thankful God gave her to me for so many years. God, so many years, God created Trinkles and he creates all horses and animals. I hope and pray that he might provide another horse such as Trinkles for my life. Presently, I'm working with a gentle paint gelding. Only God knows if this one-year-old is the answer to my prayer. That's a fun story, wasn't it? One more story for this episode for you. This next story out of our book called Betty Girl and Other Animal Stories. These are really fun, aren't they? This one is called Happy Hours with Milkshake. On a pleasant April day, a lad tied his pet outside to enjoy the lush spring grass before the family left for church. Duchess, a mini mare, was delighted with the chance to have a picnic during that Sunday morning worship service, a snow shower erupted, giving the world a wintry cover. The sunny day now seemed unfriendly and bleak as everyone took on a cold, as everything took on a cold, soggy appearance. The lad was a bit worried about her, but Duchess was a tough little mare. Surely she wouldn't mind too much. Arriving home, the lad promptly raced to check on his pet. He skidded to a halt as he came around the corner of the small buggy shed. What was that tiny red and white calf doing with her? They had all black and white Holsteins, but on rare occasions a different color would show up. Now, not only was this one rare, it was seriously small. Probably dead, he thought to himself briefly, before the animal suddenly became very much alive and scrambled to its feet. There were shrieks of excitement from the small group of onlookers onlookers who had joined the scene. It was a little red and white foal. Such a wee thing, weighing only about 15 to 20 pounds. Duchess neighed them back to reality, reminding them that she was the proud mama of the red and white baby and that they were outside in the snowy, wintry weather. The lad quickly apologized and ushered the mama and her baby to the warm, dry shelter of the cow barn. This was the first live foal for the farm, so the pair did not get to spend much time by themselves. They received constant attention, especially when the youngsters were supposed to be doing chores. Unfortunately, about a week later, Duchess was left to the care of someone else for a few days. This temporary caretaker promptly turned the mare and foal out to a dozen other horses in the meadow. A few days later, when Duchess was brought home again, the little filly was merely too weak, was nearly too weak to stand up. An hour later, she wouldn't get up at all. Ruefully, father thought, such a sluggish foal is as good as a dead foal. Nevertheless, to satisfy the children, he set about to feed the weakling. Apparently, the mare had been nervous with all the strange horses around the baby, and the baby got separated from her mother and had not nursed for quite a while, thus becoming dehydrated and sick. The mare was milked, and the baby was fed with a syringe since by this time she would not even suck. This time-consuming job needed to be done every two hours around the clock. At first, the mare was surprisingly willing to be milked, but even so, this this became quite a chore to roll out of bed at midnight or 2 a.m. By the third day, and after a lot of slopping and slurping of of milk, the foal earned her name of Milkshake. Abruptly on the third morning, the mare decided she didn't want to be milked. After a bunch of blows and bruises, father gave up and attended to the morning milking. 
as he wearily came to the conclusion that Milkshake would die, he noticed her stumble to her feet and take a drink on her own. So is that why Duchess decided she no longer needed to be milked? After that, Milkshake grew by leaps and bounds. Often, four-year-old Keturah would be found in the pen with the pair. Duchess would nip and kick at most people, but she only threatened Keturah. Saucily, Keturah would whack her on the rump, scold her, and calmly continue playing with Milkshake. Summer arrived, and with it came new temporary neighbors for the summer. The Wisconsin summers are so much more pleasant than their Missouri ones. Than their Missouri ones, the family consisted of Grandma, Grandpa, and Shirley, an older single girl who is blind. Also included in the family is Skip, a Malamute dog whom Shirley has trained as her seeing eye dog. That in itself is a remarkable story because Skip had been abandoned at her doorstep as a pup. The lifespan of a dog is rather short compared to humans, and it had been time for another dog exactly the time Skip showed up. Next, and just as valuable to Shirley, is Starlight, a five-year-old gentle paint gelding. Starlight had been trained by Shirley after her former horse, Trinkles, died. Horses last a lot longer than dogs, but eventually they also expire. Starlight never did become as intelligent as Trinkles, but still he would turn right or left with just a thump on the side of the neck. A whap on either side meant stop. Shirley read a magazine about miniature horses being trained to guide the blind. Being a horse lover, she had her heart set on having one. It was with this desire that she visited the home of Milkshake. It was love at first sight, more specifically, love at first touch. Shirley cautiously expressed her desire to buy Milkshake. Several youngsters promptly told her that Milkshake was not for sale. Especially firm about this decision was Keturah, who played daily with the horses. Still, Shirley frequently visited the farm and wistfully played with the foal. One by one, the children surrendered their ownership of Milkshake. Keturah was the last one to finally relinquish the rights to her coveted pet. With a sigh of resignation, she agreed Shirley should have her, along with a note of maturity. There will be more horses, and besides, Shirley is blind, and I'm not. Daddy and Mother reminded the children that it was a miracle that Milkshake survived. Perhaps it was for such a purpose as this. When Shirley and her family returned to Missouri for the winter, Milkshake was added to their number as a gift of love from her young masters. Milkshake easily adapted to her new home and became fast friends with Skip and Starlight, and Shirley, of course. By this time, Milkshake's color matched Starlight's. Even the spots closely resembled the ones on a large horse. Frequently innocent, ignorant folks asked if Milkshake was Starlight's foal. The first owners also found her color and markings unusual, since the mother was a dark bay and the father a dapple gray. Duchess has had many foals, but never a paint before. Shirley's Missouri friends came to greet the new arrival. They ooed and awed over the cute, adorable foal until Shirley feared Milkshake or perhaps her owner would become proud. Milkshake turned out to be the most comical companion, running after Skip, the Malamute dog, as if he were her mother. Skip was 27 inches tall and Milkshake being three feet taller, three, excuse me, three inches taller. The foursome had a great time. As Shirley and Starlight rode across the fields, Skip and Milkshake would run along. Everywhere Skip went, Milkshake was sure to follow. When Skip stopped to sniff out a brush pile for rabbits, the filly did likewise. 
She would neigh frantically if Skip slipped under a fence under which she could not. Then she would run back and forth, unmindful of Shirley's pleadings, to come back and join her and Starlight. Shirley would call Skip back and fearful that Milkshake would find a way through the fence. Another time, when the two horses were walking leisurely side by side, Skip took off yipping after a rabbit. With a neigh, Milkshake followed the chase with no intentions of being left behind. Returning from a ride, all would get a drink. Skip would lie down beside the house, and Milkshake following would do the same. Now, if you're wondering how Shirley can relate all these tales in detail, because being she is blind, do not forget God granted her a wonderful sense of hearing. With a different bell on each animal, she can pretty much tell what each is doing. Milkshake easily caught on to new tricks. Soon she learned how to shake hands, give a kiss, bow, and lay down on a command. She also rears and takes a cookie from Shirley's lips. That can become treacherous now that she has grown so much at times, and at times decides not to do the balancing, but lean on Shirley's shoulders instead. Milkshake watched Shirley drink from a garden hose, so with a bit of coaxing, she did it too. In the same way, Shirley taught her how to lick a salt block and then when she had no idea what it was for. So remember, that's a lady licking a horse's salt block because <laughs> Shirley's the lady. Milkshake was allowed to stand on a chair to reach grain on the table. That trick became a nuisance when there was something on the table that she was not supposed to have. She also learned to unroll a large grain bag if there was a little bit of feed left stick her head inside and eat the rest. You could set a large tub or similar item on the grain bucket, but she would lift it off and help herself. One day, Shirley's friend listened to Shirley's tales of milkshakes, food theft. She said, well then, she can likely get the top off that metal grain container. No, Shirley insisted, that metal's too slippery. She can't get her teeth into it. Milkshake stood listening to the conversation for a while, then walked over and took the metal lid off. So Shirley and her friend played a game of hide the grain bag, and let Milkshake search for it. The game ended when they hid it well enough that Milkshake couldn't find it. Another entertainment for Milkshake was to nose the wind chimes with a look that seemed to say, that does sound nice. She discovered that if she bites the wind chimes, something would come out and chase her. So she would hold the chimes in her mouth until there was only enough, excuse me, someone would come out and chase her. She would hold the chimes in her mouth until there was only enough time to escape being caught. Woe to Milkshake and Shirley when Mom caught her taking clothes off the wash line. That ended temporarily with a broom chase and a lot of fuss. Spring arrived again and with it came the anticipation, anticipated return to Wisconsin. Katura was delighted to see Milkshake again. Her mother asked if she was glad that she let Shirley have Milkshake even though she wanted to keep her. The little lass could not even remember that she wanted to keep Milkshake as it seemed so natural for Shirley to be with her. Going back to the cart to return home, Milkshake had beat Katura and her mom there and had already, un had already untied a bonnet that had been tied to the seat back and stomped it flat. You naughty toddler, exclaimed mother as she tried to reform her headgear. Later in the summer, Milkshake learned to pull a cart. Being smart didn't help her learn that trade very fast as she couldn't understand why someone would want to sit so far behind her when they could be walking beside her the way Shirley had been doing when using her as a guide horse. It seemed she would have enjoyed it more to push the cart. So Skip was hitched in front of Milkshake like a sled dog leader. Shirley often takes Milkshake on walks. Dependable Skip still goes along to help perfect her training, but Milkshake is the proper size for Shirley to grab hold 
of her mane and used for her balance as and they walk fast fast meaning the average person would nearly have to jog to keep up with them this has helped Shirley with her balance problem aside from being blind she faces the frustration of a degenerating muscle muscle disease which robs her of feelings in her hands and feet Shirley also spends time riding with four-year-old Katura. Katura rides Milkshake using a mini saddle while Shirley rides Starlight. Katura manages to stay on even when Milkshake gets excited about a rabbit or decides to run. For better control, Shirley keeps safety, a safety tether from Milkshake to the saddle horn on Starlight. Shirley and Katura like to brave new riding trails, but how should a four-year-old remember left from right when giving directions, especially on a moment's notice? Katura, wearing a band on her wrist labeled, labeling left from right, solve the problem. Upon Katura's command, Shirley will direct Starlight and Milkshake will follow. <laughs> Thus, as Milkshake's first owners watched all the happiness a little horse can bring to a handicapped person of any age, the inspiration was born to launch the project, which now trains many horses for the handicapped. They are trained for cerebral palsy children to ride, or for spina bifida children to drive in carts, etc. Shirley is an avid contributor to this project since she has a natural talent with animals. That's very nice. I hope you can keep track of which name belongs to an animal, a dog, which one belongs to the dog, which one belongs to the horse, which one belongs to the grown blind woman, and which one belongs to the young girl. There's lots of names to keep track of in that story. Maybe I should have gone back to the beginning and told you who was who again but I'm sure you enjoyed that